And now, what it really means with your hosts, Brad Shepard and Paul Harrell. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's June 16th, 2021. Of course, I'm Brad Shepard alongside my co-host, Paul Harrell. Paul, how's it going? Brad, it's going fantastic. How are things going with you? Going well. Another day above ground, so I can't complain, but so much. And uh, But it doesn't sound like it's been a great day for our country. Of course, I'm talking about the G7 summit that took place June 11th to June 13th in Cornwall in the UK. And for those who aren't familiar, just a, a brief background, the G7, a.k.a. Group of Seven, it's an intergovernmental political forum consisting of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK, and of course, the United States. Also, they have uh, they invite members of the European Union. And this year, they also invited Australia's prime minister, um, India's prime minister, South Korea's pr- president, and uh, South Africa's president. So the G7 is all about globalism. It's essentially a global leadership forum where they discuss and influence global issues and how we tackle them. Looks like there's going to be a brawl. You playing something good? Hell yeah! Rolling Stones, street fighting man, G7! You just hit G8. If you like pina coladas... Yeah, so uh, that's pretty much the way I think of it. Uh, you know, G7, it's going to be this amazing thing, and it's it's really, uh, Brad, a bunch of, uh, you know, people who are virtue signaling constantly. That's what the G7 really is. Well, I guess if you drink enough pina coladas, then maybe it is good. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a complete clown show, you know, with a bunch of vaccinated world leaders bumping elbows to greet each other because they're too afraid to shake hands because of COVID-19. I mean, it was Joe Biden was an irrefutable, absolute disaster at the G7, I think. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, people thought that, uh, you know, Donald Trump, or at least I didn't think that, but, you know, Donald Trump's an embarrassment. I mean, people don't even know what that word means when you're talking about Donald Trump. What happened over there, you know, with Joe Biden, Joe Biden pausing, with Joe Biden just looking lost all of the time, you know, it's all an act we can see through it. And it's not even, you know, it's not even a good one because he's just uh, a buffoon, really. And uh, well, he's he's look, he's got a mental disorder. He's in mental decline or I don't know what the clinical term is. But so, you know, you get what you you, you send over there. And so we've sent over there a, a geriatric and uh, it's it's a disaster. Yes. The uh, clinical terminology is old as I think that's what the um, the textbook says. Is that but, really <laughs> is really what it is? Huh? Yeah, I, I did not know. Sorry. I did not know that. It's incredible. Um, you learn a lot just by listening to what it really means. Uh, but yes, even it was so bad. The prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, told his staff at the G7 that Harris would be president next year. That's crazy. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean, um, at one point, Biden was so confused, his wife, a.k.a. really his handler, let's be honest, she had to get him and usher him away because he was lost and confused. You know, I, you, it's funny you mentioned Jill. I had this, I saw a few articles about her today, about how there's a silent war going on between Jill and between Kamala. 
And then we saw the photos of her, quote, preparing on behind the desk at Air Force One, preparing for the G7. You know, it, she, he very, she very much is the handler. But I, it dawned on me, of how many scores does somebody like Jill Biden have to settle now that she's in a position of power? And, you know, Kamala may not be the president uh, as quick as a lot of people think, because Jill Biden might actually, I know this sounds, but she might actually be settling political scores and pulling a lot of the strings here. She might be essentially a shadow president pulling the strings for Joe Biden. I mean, she certainly has a role. We, here's what we know, okay? We know Joe Biden is not running the show. Everybody understands that. The only question is, who's doing it, right? Is it one person? Is it multiple people? Joe Biden's wife, Jill, does seem to be one of those people that is really helping handle him and get through the presidency while he's clearly in severe cognitive decline. And in my issue with this really is the weakness that Biden displays, in particular at the G7, on the world stage only emboldens bad actors seeking to harm us. We're vulnerable, Paul. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, these personalities and the relationships that, uh, you know, they have with one another. Oh, it's certainly you got it. You got to know it's certainly uh, psychologically lets them know what they can, what they can't get away with. And every, you know, it's like, well, is anything going to get by Donald Trump? Well, I don't know, maybe one or two things. But, you know, everything is getting by Joe Biden. I mean, everything is going over his head. So he's just um, a placeholder. So who, who are these leaders really trying to talk to? You know, Kamala is, you know, she's off in Guatemala somewhere, you know, doing horrible. I mean, in the press, the press are asking her questions. She doesn't want to answer it. She just comes across just really unlikable. Of course, we already knew that. So I don't know. I mean, if you're a foreign leader, who are you really talking to that you trust? You know it's not Joe Biden. Is it Jill or is it, uh, you know, Barack Obama behind the scenes when I mean, we know that's what he fantasized he fantasized about essentially having a, access to an earpiece in the next president well let's listen to one of joe biden's articulate speeches at the g7 and uh you know, i've said before and i apologize for oh i didn't i There's a lot that is happening, yeah. Uh, not so much in his brain, though. There's it, not a lot happening in there. There's a lot that is is happening, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's awful. I mean, um, so when asked about a concern over sanctions, I don't know if you saw this clip, he leaned into the microphone and whispered, 120 days, give me a break. It's very bizarre behavior. At the time, he was over 150 days in office, not 120. But it was so his math wasn't right, of course. But his uh, behavior is rather odd too. Um, when he was asked why he critiqued Putin, but refused to do a joint press conference when they meet in Geneva, Biden said it's not a contest about who can do better in front of a press conference or try to embarrass each other. 
In other words, Biden is basically admitting his brain is too broken to do that. He repeatedly confused Libya for Syria. He interrupted UK Prime Minister, if you saw this, and G7 host Boris Johnson to say that Johnson forgot to recognize Prime Minister Modi during introductions. That led to an awkward exchange because Johnson had already done that. (laughs) Johnson politely mentioned he had already done it, and Joe said, Oh, you already did that? Johnson, who was sitting next to Biden when this happened, literally gave him the hand and continued talking while Biden laughed and looked like a complete weak goof. I saw that one. I I did. And the hand was really just um, demeaning, disrespectful. But I mean, there's nothing there to respect. I mean, what are you going to do? There's nothing there to respect. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, you mentioned Putin, Brad, but you have the situation where uh Putin has, is now asking about Ashley Babbitt and wanting to know who ordered her execution on January 6th at the Capitol. And and really, the, in, that's made the mainstream media. I saw an MSN article about it. I, I just find it fascinating that you've got the Russian, you've got a Russian, you know, uh, in some circles, people, you know, dictator essentially asking, throwing that back at the mainstream media's face because Vladimir Putin seems to understand that they don't want to talk about Ashley Babbitt and what happened to her on January 6th. Isn't it great? I mean, you literally have Russia, right, and Vlad. And he is sticking up for Trump supporters more than Republicans. I mean, he's more concerned about the civil liberties of Republicans than, you know, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, and the entire party combined. I mean, this is so pathetic. It really does highlight how pathetic and unserious the GOP is. Well, yeah, and for, from Putin's standpoint, he just thinks that the United States constantly is taking uh, the moral high ground or is claiming they're taking the moral high ground, and he's pointing out that that's not the case. No, no, you're not. You're not taking the moral high ground. I mean, especially when he looks at how we are completely disintegrating socially, and that this is not just Russia. These are other countries as well. They, yeah. they look at us. Uh, they look at how we, uh, you know, essentially just uh, print as much money as we want, and then we hold that standard on all of them. And then they, 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 then they, you look at us socially and how we're trying to, um, uh, you know, essentially promote just debauchery and immorality every chance we get in our culture. And I was listening to, uh, I was listening to a sermon by a guy that I respect, uh, uh, Vody Bauckham. It's a couple of years old, I think, but he was talking about the United Nations and how the United Nations will go to African countries that have strict policies against homosexuality, and they say, we're not going to forgive your loan unless you change your laws on homosexuality. So the rest of the world sees the, the, the U.S. leading uh, from you know, when the Democrats are in control and when, uh, un, you know, unfortunately, in some cases, when you have these atheistic-type Republicans who are in control, and they scratch their head and they don't see us on the moral high ground. And that's really a much bigger story. It's really the story of the last couple of decades when people talk about American decline and our influence across the world. That's really what nobody talks about. The rest of the world looks at us and they say, hang on, wait a second. Why should we listen to you? Look at what is going on in your own country. Yeah, I mean, nobody takes Joe Biden seriously. They all understand what's going on. 
even with a flashcard of talking points at the G7, he still couldn't pull it off. I mean, literally, there was an image on OANN of Joe Biden in his flashcard with anti-Trump talking points. You could see it. You could read part of it. It's, it's so pathetic. Um, do you remember what President Trump did at his last G7? You want to talk about taking people seriously in respect. He was in the back of the group, if you remember, of world leaders. They were all walking. And when they stopped, he pushed them all out of the way to stand in the front of the group. That's a president of a superpower who is respected, whether you like it or not, whether you thought it was a dickhead move or not. At the end of the day, that is an alpha president who knew his place and knew where he belonged. And that was at the head of the table. And in the, the world leaders didn't do anything about it. They stood there and let him do it because they knew who was in charge. That's Donald Trump. Yeah, here's my question about that. At the time, that was decried. People couldn't believe that Trump would do that because they they cast it as some sort of you know ego, narcissistic. He, he was doing that for him. He was doing that to stand up for him. But but how much of that action was actually Donald Trump doing that for us, yeah. for the American people? And that's the benefit of the doubt that our press never, ever gave him. They look at Joe Biden, these world leaders uh, at, at the G7. It was very obvious. They did not respect him at all. They could have cared less what he said. He was the mumbling old senile goof that they knew would be out of the way soon enough. That's really what it felt like to me. Well, I mean, how many? Here's another question. They may be waiting for Kamala. That's true. But how many of those world leaders uh, had any stories on their phone or wireless devices at all giving them information and updates about the Arizona audit, Brad? I mean, this is, it's an honest question. I mean, are any of them, do any of them think that Joe Biden didn't actually win the election? We have signs that are going up in public places all over the world saying that Trump won. By the way, there was, I think there was some in, uh, I don't know if it was Guatemala or not, but you know, they're, they're putting them up in Yankee stadium. They're putting them up everywhere. And I, I'm just curious. I wonder how many world leaders think that Joe Biden doesn't need to be paid attention to because he didn't actually win. I think Paul, that is an excellent point. I mean, the doubt just continues now, you may have heard that Biden Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that the corrupt Department of Justice will scrutinize any post-election audits for voting law violations. Yeah, I bet they're going to be looking real hard. If you were ever unsure if they were worried, there's now no doubt about it. Because you don't hire 100 lawyers to hide an election victory, and you don't have the DOJ interfere in a legal state-ordered audit because you won fair and square. You're exactly right. When I saw that last week from Merrick Garland, I really just assumed that the that there was going to be a last minute, and there still may, might be, that the DOJ may just descend on that place and shut it down and keep them from releasing the results. I mean, I'm encouraged that there are people in authority and in Arizona that have uh, tried to push back against that idea, but I'm still worried that that may happen, that we may not actually see these results. It concluded yesterday... And they're saying that we'll have them sometime next week. 
There's already leaks, though. There's already leaks, and a lot of people think that some of these leaks are reliable enough to assume that the fraud was so bad that, in fact, it will essentially reveal that Joe Biden did not win Arizona. And so what happens after that? Well, we're looking at what's going on in Georgia. We're looking at what's going on in Pennsylvania. I said last week, you know, all eyes might shift to Pennsylvania once Arizona and Georgia come, uh, you know, fully get exposed. But at the same time, I still don't know what happens. You know, people just lose confidence in Joe Biden. That's happening faster and faster by the day. But with Merrick Garland threatening Arizona and threatening the audit, trying to make sure no no other states comply, no other states uh, do what Arizona's done is what he's attempting to do through threats and intimidation, um, you, you've got to know that this is going to be very embarrassing. The information is going to be very embarrassing. We know that they're going to censor it. We know that Facebook, Twitter, and the likes are going to censor it, but we've still got to share it. We've got to get it out there. We've got to tell as many people as we can. When this information breaks, everybody listening to this needs to go and get it out there. Um, I'm actually, you know, I, I quit Twitter, but I, I could still technically go and like reactivate my account. And uh, I, I've thought about doing that just to, you know, go ahead and get banned anyway and just go ahead and put it out there. Yeah, Arizona is not backing down in spite of those threats. Their attorney general warned Garland to stay away from Arizona's audit, which was very based. I'd be skeptical of the leaks just because is there some sort of counter operation to discredit it by leaking false information? You never know. Uh, so. I think it's going to end up showing that there was a lot of fraud and that's going to continue on. Well, what do we know about Georgia? The other state you mentioned, Paul, legally required chain of custody documentation is missing for 24% of ballots in Fulton County, Georgia from the 2020 election. And I saw where you've got this Ratzenberger guy who has been the biggest icon of corruption, maybe only second to the governor of Georgia. And now all of a sudden he's outraged or he's concerned that Fulton County can't produce these chains of custody documents for 24%. And a lot of people are are really sensing blood in the water on our side now because they all know that Ratzenberger has known about this or whatever the guy's name is. Am I saying his name right, Brad? Is it Ratzenberger? Brad Raffensberger. Uh, Raffin, Raffensberger. Whatever. So, so this guy, I think Ratzenberger is actually a much more appropriate name. So, you know, now that he has essentially admitting to what he was refused to admit this whole time, people are assuming he's trying to save his skin, and that may be. But I mean, he's a corrupt man. He's 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 he has done things in a corrupt way. We all know he has. And so now that he's admitting it, and he's he's kind of coming. Uh, to his senses, maybe to save his own skin via self-preservation. I think we all know what that means. I think we all can assume what he believes it means, which is this is going to get really bad for me. So I need to start having some sort of alibi. Oh my goodness. You mean 24%? Oh, I just realized (laughs) I might as well. Your honor, my client clearly didn't know about this until his public statements on June 13th, that, uh, this was the case. You know, you can kind of tell that, uh, he may be building a defense for himself at this point. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, this is totally disingenuous, right? This information, all of the fraud that was reported to have gone on, in Fulton County, Georgia, during the election. Come on. 
you know, he, he he has prevented justice from prevailing in Georgia. And now that some really concerning evidence is coming out, he wants to, um, oh, well, geez, what's going on here? This is awful. Yeah, well, where were you, uh, you know, seven months ago? So, yeah, it's to- it's totally disingenuous. And these are the kind of people who have betrayed us and need to be voted out. 100%. And it's only going to get worse and worse and worse from the other side. I mean, if you really look at this, uh, and I know, you know, I might be Mr. Optimist sometimes, but if you really look at what's been going on, it's a lot of really good things for America first, you know, conservatives out there, or, you know, Republicans or what? I don't even know what the labels are anymore at this point, Brad. I don't care. The it's 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 it, things are going really well behind the scenes. Things are crumbling for Biden, and they're crumbling for those who are trying to cover up the big lie. Absolutely, it's a corrupt political machine. And speaking of corrupt political machines, I've got quite the story here. The journalist who broke the story about the controversial 2016 tarmac meeting between former President Bill Clinton and then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch. You may remember that story. Well, the journalist who broke it was found dead Saturday morning. So the journalist who broke the story told Fox News in early 2020 his family received numerous death threats since breaking the story about the meeting in the lead-up to the 2016 election. My family received significant death threats shortly after breaking this story, Sign said at the time. Credit cards hacked. You know, my children, we have code words. We have secret code words that they know what to do. His death is being investigated as a suicide. And he is survived by his wife and three sons. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've seen this a lot of long lists now. It just gets longer and longer and longer. And um, I, I don't I, I don't see any reason why to suspect suicide just with the facts that I have. I mean, I Everyone, think you. Would, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would you? Sus- I mean, it's, this kind of stuff is just ridiculous. Um, that story, by the way may not be over. I mean, there, there are people, you, you never know what, what was really said. I mean, the, you, could you, could you chart that particular event to Hillary Clinton losing in 2016? I suppose you could, but I, you know, it makes me kind of wonder why now, why till 2021? Is it, is it a grudge? Uh, and I, and look, I get it. It could just be suicide. So, but you know, there's a long list. The body count with the Clintons is not something. It's so large that not everybody on the list may be a, a victim. But you you definitely can't just say, oh, this is some <laughs> conspiracy theory, you know. Yeah, and we're just spitballing here. But, you know, let's say this person does break that story, right? And if they were to somehow pull a, a Jeffrey Epstein and not kill themselves then you would want to do it at a time where you think the story has passed and is it doesn't matter anymore so that there is less of an obvious motive right you know the story's already broken you can't stop that but perhaps the punishment comes at a later time when the story is passed 
I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something interesting to entertain. Uh, you know, it just to me, it even I don't know, my my critical mind of this, I would just say, what 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 else is there more? Is there another shoe to drop here? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this guy knew something else. I, I don't know. And I know, look, you know, if it was really suicide, people are going to, you know, you get all that. How dare you? How dare you? Talk? But look, this guy did his country an amazing service. He exposed a secret meeting between President Bill Clinton and then Attorney General Loretta Lynch. And he did, they, they were talking when they weren't supposed to, you know, they were talking in secret. Nobody was supposed to know. And nobody really knows what was said or maybe what was promised. But we know what happened directly after that, which had to do with attorney, uh, had to do with James Comey. You got to remember, you have, you know, James Comey, the guy everyone thought was some Boy Scout. Mm. You know, are you going, are you, are you going to press charges on Hillary? Are you, are, are, are you going to prosecute Hillary for the email scandal? And then James Comey comes out with that very weird July press conference when he says no reasonable prosecutor would oh, yeah. uh, would prosecute. And he essentially, I mean, he described to a T violation of the Espionage Act, but used a synonym instead of what was actually in the law. And then, of course, later, he comes back out right before the election. Remember that? He comes back right before the election saying they have reopened the investigation into Hillary because they've got more emails. So... You got to remember, this was there's a lot of working, uh, you know, working uh, parts here. And the media, if it wasn't for this guy, the media wouldn't have had any they wouldn't have had anything to ignore because they ignored largely most of this story. If it wasn't for this guy who they just found dead, they wouldn't have had anything to ignore or cover up by not telling people what was really going on. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you don't know when people are depressed and they have problems. So we're not ruling it out. Uh, but considering the circumstances with the Clintons and the secret meeting, which was exposed, you have to at least entertain the idea or talk about it. And so that's what we're doing. I mean, I can kind of picture Hillary Clinton getting on her cell phone and dialing the suicide hotline and saying, hello, I'd like to place an order. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yeah, it's actually quite scary. But, you know, if, if it were the, if it were that easy, you get the feeling that it kind of is with them, though, don't you? You just kind of get the mm. feeling. Yeah, you do. You do. They're untouchable. Let's talk about uh, something else here that's untouchable. And this was the mass shooter in Austin, Texas. You've probably heard about it. And so I'm not going to go over a lot of details. 13 people were injured. One died when a mass shooter in downtown Austin opened fire. Here's the piece that I found really interesting, Paul, that I wanted to talk about. The city of Austin's police department described one suspect at large as a black male with dreadlocks, wearing a black shirt and a skinny build. Mm. So the Austin American Statesman, which is the city's major daily newspaper, refused to release the race of the mass shooter who was at large, noting Quote, police have only released a vague description of the suspected shooter as of Saturday morning. The American statesman is not including the description as it is too vague at this time to be useful in identifying the shooter, unquote. What that really means is the shooter wasn't white. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's great. That may be the greatest what it really means. 
uh, line ever <laughs> because that is so true. That's exactly what it really means. He's, he wasn't yeah. black. <laughs> Look, Austin is 15% black. And then from that, the description indicates the shooter had dreadlocks. So in other words, that description does significantly narrow down the population. But by the way, I'm sure you'd be super surprised by this. The same newspaper had no problem noting in 2018 with a bombing suspect at large that, quote, researchers have identified some broad characteristics that police turn into trying to identify deadly bombers. All have been white men, unquote. <laughs> so they don't have a description of a bombing suspect. Police do usually say this could be a white guy. But a black guy is a mass shooter, and, well, we can't release the description. You know, that would be um, perpetuating stereotypes. It's just too vague. This is where we're at, folks. Our media is now complicit in covering up for mass shooters if they're identified as a person of color. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you put it that way, that's exactly what's going on. <laughs> But, you know, in their defense, Brad, I mean, he might not have been uh, an African-American with dreadlocks. He could have been, uh, I don't know, Jamaican or something, you know, and and and, you know, maybe the the skin color is the same, but they, they don't want to just pin. I mean, you know, in their defense, it could have it could have been somebody, you know, white guys can have dreadlocks. So so who knows? We could have called in Kamala Harris, you know, for the Jamaican expertise. Just to rule that out. I understand yes. that's that's part of her family heritage. Yes, we could, man. <laughs> hey, man. I'm a shooter, man. <laughs> Awful. Sorry. Merrick Garland. I'm so tired of talking about this guy. Um, but he gave a press conference where he said, according to the FBI, the top domestic violent extremist threat is white supremacy. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, this will never end. Now, of course, you notice, Paul, they will never provide any specific names, identifying information, or statistical data. That's right. It's pure agenda-driven fear-mongering, and it isn't based in facts. Furthermore, statements like Garland's are the reason why a black man shot and wounded five people in three separate incidents. You probably didn't hear about this one. But the shooter admitted to targeting white men who he believed had wronged him and taken from him. Now, he didn't actually know these people, so that was more of a metaphorical sense. He didn't know the victims, but he did confirm the sole motive of his shootings was, in fact, race. You remember hearing about that on CNN, Paul? I, I do not. I do not remember Anderson Cooper uh, telling, telling me that in my daily brainwashing session. What about Don Lemon? Ah, uh, no, Don Lemon. No, no, I don't remember him telling me about uh, about that. He probably did tell me something about how I'm a bigot uh, against the LGBTQ community, though. Well, now we've got the conversation surrounding Biden's plan to address domestic terrorism, which is now a top priority. The Department of Homeland Security has designated domestic violent extremism as a national priority area within the Department of Homeland Security grant program. I say cancel the damn grant then. And that means that more than 77 million of your dollars 
will be allocated to state and local and other partners to prevent, protect against, and respond to domestic violent extremism, which again, if you read between the lines of Merrick Garland, is white people. If you see something, say something, they say. This is a nice communist tactic. They want you to actually, they're saying, I'm not inferring this, they want you to tell in your friends and family and neighbors. Increased information sharing with big tech. That's part of this plan. Isn't that fantastic? So uh, whatever privacy you don't have now, you're going to have even less of it. U.S. attorney's offices and FBI field offices across the country have formally made domestic terrorism a top priority and are tracking comprehensively domestic terrorism-related cases, reallocating or requesting appropriate funding and resources as needed to target the threat. Yeah, I, they must need a lot of money to uh, target those soccer moms and boomers taking selfies at the Capitol. That includes over $100 million in additional resources for the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security that are included in the president's fiscal 2022 budget to ensure that we have the analysts, investigators, prosecutors, and other personnel and resources that we need to thwart domestic terrorism and bring domestic terrorists to justice when the law has been broken. State, local, tribal, and territorial law enforcement will have access to increased intelligence sharing and training on domestic terrorism and associated threats as well, pursuing efforts to ensure that domestic terrorists are not employed within our military or law enforcement ranks and that they improve their screening and vetting processes. So again, now they're attacking law enforcement and the military, and they're going to give them a litmus test. And they want to make sure even at the local level, they are properly screened and vetted. Training and resources for state, local, tribal, and territorial law enforcement partners, as well as, how about this, Jim, sensitive private sector partners to enable them to enhance their employee screening and to prevent individuals who pose domestic terrorism threats from being placed in positions of trust. Oh, boy. Yeah, a lot to unpack here, but this is really scary, dangerous stuff. They are loading it up to go after Trump supporters, white folks, you name it. They don't like it if it's American. Brad, white, white silence is white violence. I mean, come on, man. What are you doing? Uh, honestly, what you guys need to do is is uh, you need to take everything that Brad said, and then you need to go and go to go. Don't go to Google. Go to go to man. I don't know Bing or I, I know Bing is still big tech technically, but man, you get radically different search results. I found with Bing versus Google. Um, I don't know why, but you just do. Anyway, go to Bing.com or some other, and just type in anti-white South Africa. And just go and read anti-white South Africa. Go and read the articles that you won't find on Google from the last several years about what has been going on in South Africa. This was a story, and we've mentioned it before, that broke sometime in 2017. And Tucker Carlson did a segment on it. And Donald Trump tweeted about South African farmers and the media in lockstep said it was debunked, that it was a lie. You know, just like they said that the virus coming from a lab in China was debunked. Mm. So so, you know, for a fact and I, and I, I mean this, you know, for a fact 
that the media lies and they were lying then. Anytime they reject something in unison like that, you know that they are lying. So go and look at what happens, you know, what has happened is happening to white people in South Africa. And you have a little bit of a playbook, maybe not the same, maybe it won't happen here in America, but you have to look at the rhetoric. You have to look at what people are saying in their words, words matter, and you have to take them for what the face value is and look at what Merrick Garland is saying. Look at what they've, I mean, eventually, and this may be a while, but eventually, if you like to barbecue and you like to shoot fireworks on the 4th of July and you're white, you might be considered a domestic terrorist. And a lot of people may not want to hear that. Your friends and family may not want to hear that, but you just have to take them for what they're saying. And what they're saying is they're, they're promoting just openly discriminatory policies in our government. And, you know, it's, you know, I've thought about this two ways, Brad, is it because they really mean it or are they just trying to use the rhetoric that the people were shouting on the streets during the BLM, the Chad, uh, and the, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, critical race theory class. Or like, are, is it is it really is that well they're doing? It's just kind of giving lip service to it, or is it more than that? Or is it some sort you know, kind of a mixture of both? Trying to you know make good on a political capital by rebranding everything. I mean, you know they have done some of that with the CIA ads. You know, for the CIA ads that are essentially, I, I heard Mark Dice on YouTube say the CIA ads that are for these non-binary type people they're making all these ads are really just for the laid off reporters at BuzzFeed and the Huffington Post. The CIA is like, oh, y'all can come work over here. Uh, so I don't know. Um, but seriously, look up anti-white South Africa in the search engine and just start reading. And maybe you don't believe some of it. Maybe you believe all of it, none of it. I don't know. But just do yourself a favor and do some research white genocide and nobody wants to talk about it they don't feel comfortable talking about it but we have to we have to speak out about it as uncomfortable as it may be and i completely agree paul definitely definitely check that out by the way if only the fbi had been able to attend those antifa and blm rallies for the past year plus you know then maybe they changed their mind i don't know <laughs> but uh, apparently a couple of white boomers at the uh, the Capitol building for a few hours is is all the threat that we can take. We got to really do something about those trespassers that they let in in some cases. So we've seen this punishment of Republicans, you know, Trump supporters, whatever you want to brand it as. And this is really the next evolution of that. But former U.S. House candidate and current American Greatness contributor Pete Diabraska found out on Tuesday that Wells Fargo had canceled his savings account with no explanation, simply sending him a check in the mail for the amount in his account. The news comes immediately after Wells Fargo closed the account of America First activist Lauren Whiskey, leaving her stranded out of state with no money. While speaking to National File about the situation, Diabraska said, clearly there's been some kind of conspiracy within Wells Fargo to ban prominent right-wingers from using their banking services. This is yet another reminder that major monopolies in both banking and tech 
are not operating within a purely free market capitalistic system. They must be broken up and their CEOs and executive level employees and board members jailed until we can figure out how to stop discrimination from private companies against the political right. Yeah, you know, and uh, he went on there. uh, As for Wells Fargo, he said specifically, they've always had a garbage product. I feel like my money will be safer and put to better use in a local credit union or regional bank. Um, This is... You know, it's it's par for the course. It's and it's we we have to expect it to get worse, and we do have to break these guys up. Um, not just you know we got to bring we got to break big tech up as well. We've got to shatter big tech. Um, but we we just can't let these we can't let people do this. Um, th- there's got to be some recourse, and uh, you know I guess Diabrasca could just go build your own bank. Then Diabrasca, <laughs> go go build your own bank, and if you don't like it, you know. Well, that's but what it, Ben Shapiro and the Lalbertarians would be saying. Go build your own bank. The private company that can do what they want. That's right. That's right. They don't, they don't like you. Um, but this this has got to stop. You know, it's it's got to end. And uh, it's part of cancel culture. So they've canceled his bank account. And, uh, I you know, I, here's the thing. I don't know how soon these problems go away. So you need to go ahead and plan uh, for them. Because right now it's because he's a he's a you know a journalist and he's saying things that that Wells Fargo doesn't like. But pretty soon it'll be you know if you don't want to get the vaccine or you don't want to put your kids in public school or if you don't want to you know just make a basic everyday decision. Uh, th- that's what it'll be next. And so you need to go ahead and plan accordingly that this is coming uh, sooner rather than later. And, uh, you know, plan for it so you, you'll be ready and, and be able to survive this. Yeah, I wish I could say it's going to get better. We'll have to see. You know, they're they're making their move in a lot of ways, whether it's that or, you know, globally with the Great Reset. And we know Bill Gates has bought up just a ridiculous amount of farmland. He now owns more farmland in America than anyone else. And we know that corporations are buying up houses. They're proactively going into neighborhoods and trying to purchase houses. And then they're turning around and renting them. So they're actually eliminating home ownership in neighborhoods and in specific areas. Mm. You'll own nothing and you'll love it. I mean, this is all part of the Great Reset. Yeah, yeah, it is. And the reason I say, you know, we don't know when it's going to get better is because, I mean, in order to think in our current system, in our current way of thinking, how how would you break up big tech legitimately? I mean, I'm watching, listening to all these people, you know, I mean, I love I love I love Marjorie Taylor Greene, but she's got this bill that she's run, you know, running now called the fire Fauci bill. Nobody that, that I'm going just like, nowhere. that's a waste of time. It's going nowhere. And so you're not going to, we can talk about how it needs to be broken up. We can talk about how big tech needs to be broken up. But I mean, in order for it to happen, you have to have the presidency. You have to have both chambers of Congress and you have to have enough of the rhinos gone uh, or have them so outnumbered that it won't matter when they bail and, and vote with the Democrats. So, uh, I, you know, that's why I say just recognize the problem and plan accordingly. Yeah, Absolutely. And and we've got a lot of people in the GOP to replace in elections. A lot. That's the reality. I do want to talk about one final thing you mentioned to me, Paul. 
And that is John Stewart going on Stephen Colbert's late night show. <laughs> Nice. John Stewart hijacks Colbert show with rant on the COVID-19 lab leak. This was very interesting. And again, we, we talked about Bill Maher kind of coming out, you know, a classical liberal who's talked about some of these things. Then we have John Stewart. He's kind of coming out and, and criticizing some of these things. So it's really interesting. Some of these folks who are more classical liberals or a little more rational or in certain areas, at least. Um, that they're coming out to say what they are publicly this is really interesting. So I've got the clip. Let's take a listen to John Stewart talking about the COVID-19 lab leak on the Colbert show. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has in many ways helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. <laughs> That's kind of all of it. No, 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 no. Now, listen, listen. I'm, it's I'm, coffee. I will give that to you. I'm, I'm that to you. I'm so what, what do you take? So what, do you, what, what, what do you mean by? Do you mean like well, so there's, there's, perhaps there's, there's a chance that this is created in a lab? There's an investigation. A chance? Well, I, 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 oh I, my God! I'd love to hear. There's a novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then the national scientists are like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. And you're like, no. I, you, you, the wait, name wait, of your lab, wait, can you look at the name? Look at the name. Can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the Coronavirus Lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, okay. Wait, okay. Wait, 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 there's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. Man, that was so good. I, I've watched that clip like several times today um, because it was it was just so good to see somebody make them look absurd. Because we're called conspiracy theorists because we think it's come from a lab, which we've, I believe, for a, for a long time. But he's actually making them look, uh, people like Colbert and others, like the crazy ones, that, that, that we're somehow conspiracy theorists or somehow our line of thought isn't legitimate when it's obvious uh, that you know, he's pointing out the obvious. We would be dumb not to assume that it came from a, a, a bio lab that works on coronavirus and they have a coronavirus outbreak. What's interesting uh, is how this has made leftists' heads explode. So if mm -hmm. you go to Twitter, you can find a lot of these. Uh, this guy named Jonathan Goldsby. On the first late show, back with a full audience, Jon Stewart dives intensely down the COVID lab leak rabbit hole, rebuffing Colbert's Repeated efforts to save him from himself. I don't know. Then here's this other guy, uh, book girl, PhD. Uh, her pronouns are she, her. 
I don't know. Maybe when there's an egregious rise in hate towards Asian Americans, we don't need Stewart feeding it. Come on. Here's a guy named Scott uh, Radimer. John Stewart is spreading conspiracy theories on the late show right now because he's too stupid to realize that coronaviruses are an effing category of viruses, not just COVID-19 effing moron. Here's the thing, Scott. He mentioned that it was a coronavirus, not the coronavirus. If you actually listen to what John Stewart said, it sounds like he actually knows that multiple COVID or coronaviruses are studied at the lab. A guy named Bill Nick Energy. Uh, John Stewart, you okay, bro? Uh, here's a girl named uh, Smart Slink. Wow, John Stewart is gone. Bad, bad shit crazy. Uh, here's Sharon Mitchell at John Stewart. I'm sorry, John just disappointed in your appearance on Colbert. I really like you, but the Wuhan thing was a bit much. Take care. See, these liberals can't handle mm -mm. that they may have been living a complete lie for the last year, and they don't want to actually have to realize, oh, man, maybe Trump was right. I mean, or Trump was right, by the way. Newsflash. Um, and so, anyway, it goes on and on and on, and uh, it was actually pretty— uh, it was actually a bright part of my day, Brad. Bright part of my day. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it was quite entertaining. You know, and again, it's always interesting to see their side, so to speak, point this out. You know, is is it too late? Yeah, I mean, where were you a year ago? But it is still interesting, nevertheless. And I think we're kind of getting to the stage now where we're just beginning to realize, I mean, I think there's a mass acceptance of the idea that this came from the Wuhan lab, you know, even from ordinary people who, you know, maybe didn't know what we did a long time ago about this. And it's, you know, if you, if you say that now, if you say that, you know, you may be not following the science because if you're attacking Dr. Fauci now, <laughs> what you're actually doing is not attacking him. You're attacking science because that's what he's following. <laughs> yeah, I love how he's now talking about himself in third person. You know, if if you if you attack the Fauci, uh, you're attacking science. Here's the thing, though. It is of note that what John Stewart just said on national television would have gotten you or me or anybody else on the right with a platform banned. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, a, a couple months ago, really, certainly last year, but a couple months ago. And, um, you know, that's something to behold. I mean, it really is. And if you look at Colbert's response to all of this, you can tell he is just absolutely mortified that Jon Stewart's going there. Yeah, because because he, he knows that you're not supposed to speak the truth. Speaking of speaking the truth, there's this new uh, Project Veritas video out I watched before we recorded this. And, uh, man, it's fascinating to go listen to a local reporter talk about how she was uh, basically muzzled and censored uh, by a Fox 26 in Houston. And she's got the undercover tapes and everything else. And uh, really, she's a, you know just a compelling news anchor. And I'm sure she's got a bright future. And a lot of people are probably going to say, well, that's why you did this in the first place. But go check it out. It, because I, I really think, she, I believe her, I think she's sincere. And uh, I mean, they wouldn't let her talk about hydroxychloroquine past a point. And they don't want her to talk about uh, all, really just all kinds of things. So go check it out. It's about Project Veritas. And you know the difference between the truth and a conspiracy theory is six months. So that's just the way it is. That's all the time we have. Hope you've enjoyed the show. 
Paul, where can we follow you on social media? <laughs> At Paul Harrell 1776, you can find me on Gab. Um, and that's uh, the place of freedom of speech right now on the internet. So go to Gab and get an account. And find me on Gab as well, at Brad Shepard. Thanks for your support. We will see you next week. <laughs>